Please be seated. I want you to join with me this uh, Sunday morning in welcoming again to our pulpit the Reverend Earl Fair, who has been very constant with uh, our church and with your session in, in leading us and guiding us over the past several years. So be sure and stop Earl this morning and thank him for that. But he is going to open the word today uh, to, for us from the Gospel of Luke. And so we're going to Luke for our scripture reading, Luke 10, um, verses 25 through 37. And so I'm going to be kind to you and actually read from the Pew Bible, uh, even though I don't really prefer the NIV, but I'll, I'll use it. Otherwise, uh, you'd be lost. So Luke 10, verses 25 through 37 found on page 734 in the Pew Bibles. And I've got a, ah, here we go. I, have to, I definitely have to put my, my reading glasses on, on, on for this one. Luke 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. He, he, he replied How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will embarrass you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Good morning, fellow sinners. And you might wonder why I would open like that, like that, but we are all sinners here. Verified in the Old and New Testament, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And there's none righteous, no, not one, including me. Sin. 
Sin is in this passage of scripture which Tanner read. And therefore, the question was raised by the Lord himself, uh, pointing out to this lawyer that he was to understand that he was a sinner. But I'm not sure he did. For as we look at this passage of scripture, and as you look at it and read through it, it's probably one of the most familiar of all of the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not one that's easy to expound on because it's, it's clarity really in itself as you read this parable. A parable is something that you lay alongside another truth to illustrate it and to understand it more specifically or in a better way. Literally in this passage of scripture, there are two accounts or two stories of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first is that of the lawyer and uh, his questioning Jesus because he was, he was there not to really understand who he was, but to test Jesus. And as we look through the passages of scripture, many people thought they could test Christ. Don't attempt to do it. He'll always win. He always does. And so as we understand this parable and as we read through it, we first of all approach it from the lawyer's standpoint and he had he had in his mind that he would certainly challenge the Lord at this point and so he comes to him and he says what must I do to inherit eternal life and I hope my friends gathered here that you and I have asked that question because it is the supreme question in every person's life on this earth throughout all of history and in the future to come. What must we do to inherit eternal life? There's nothing you can do, nor can I. It's all God's doing for us to have eternal life. But the lawyer was going to find out if Jesus knew about this. And so what does Jesus do? He turns it around and asks the lawyer, who is an expert in the law, what does the law say? And so the lawyer answers. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he says, and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer then was granted by Christ to say, well, you've answered correctly. Do this then, Jesus said, and you will live. But the lawyer wasn't finished at that point. He asked him another question. Well, my Lord, in a sense, who is my neighbor? Now, He put that in a way in which he thought he had uh, an opportunity to develop a theological discussion. It didn't happen that way. If you remember the woman at the well, she thought she could too. She said to Jesus, you know, uh, 
your ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you're saying to me, we are to worship in Jerusalem, hoping that there could be a discussion, not wanting to be revealed as to her problem as a prostitute. But this lawyer now, he, he wants to question Jesus and get into a discussion, and Jesus turns it around on him, and he tells him this parable, very specific, no question. As we look at the scene, as it unfolds, a man was robbed, he was, uh, had his clothes taken off him, and he was beaten and lying in the ditch. So a priest comes along, and of all people, he should have been the one to go over and help him. He didn't do it. He passed by on the other side. Next comes a Levite, both, both well-schooled in the law. And the law said, you must help your neighbor. Well, he, the, the Levite passed by on the other side too. But then comes another man. Another man who had every excuse in the world not to help him because he was a Jew. And the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. You know, in a Sunday school class I had uh, of junior high students, and I was asking them why the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side. And one little boy who was in the class, and he was very earnest about it. He stood up and he said, Pastor, he said, uh, they passed by on the other side because they, they, they saw that the man was already robbed. Now, I don't think that was in the mind of Christ. But you know, uh, there might have been some truth to it as well. Because there are always temptations that face us. But that wasn't why they passed by. They were strict on the law. And they interpreted it to the nth degree, almost to disobeying what it meant. They felt that since they were Jews, the law really exempted them from helping someone in the ditch, even though he was a fellow Jewish citizen. But the Samaritan comes by. And you know, this, as I said, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Some, some 750 years before this, the Assyrians had come down from the south and had captured the northern kingdom of Israel. They took most of the Jews that they could and take, took them out of their homeland there in the northern portion of Israel and took them back captive to their own land. Now, you know, if you capture a country, it's very difficult to take all the people out of that country. Some of the Jews remained there, and they intermarried with the Samaritans. They became, in a sense, what they would call half-breeds. So the Jews hated the Samaritans because they, they, were, they were intermarried with uh, the Gentiles. Well, that, that, was a, that was a problem that they had, very much so. So Jesus says, who is neighborly? Now, the, when, you, when you see this lawyer, who was a Jew himself, answering, and he says, probably the one who had 
shown mercy upon the man in the ditch. Now notice the answer he gave. He couldn't say Samaritan because that would be almost something he would not even bring upon his lips because they hated the Samaritans. And when the Samaritans saw that the Jews were back trying to build the temple in Jerusalem, they offered to help them. The Jews refused it. So what did the Samaritans do? They built their own temple on, on Mount Gerizim. So there were two temples at that time. The Samaritan had theirs, and the Jews had theirs in Jerusalem. So there was a, a problem with religion, even though the Samaritans were worshiping the same God. Major problem that existed at this point. So we have the setting before us. When we think about this, let's apply it to us. Who is your neighbor? The question that was asked by that lawyer and the answer that was given You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Have you always done that? Jesus says, do this and you shall live. What that exposes is that we cannot be saved by observance of the law of God. None of us fully does that. And so one sin, one sin condemns us. That's why I introduce today fellow sinners. We are our sinners. And so the answer to that, that lawyer should have answered, but Christ, I can't and cannot do it. I can't and I have not loved the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind. And I do not always love my neighbor as myself. We are all guilty before God at that point. So there, in a sense, there are four classes of people in this parable. There's the victim. There's the victimizer. There's that one who is concerned, the Samaritan. And there are the indifferent, the priest and the Levite. I'd like to deal with the last two at this point. When we was asked who was my neighbor, It's strange when you think about it, when that lawyer replied, the one who had mercy on him, and Jesus again said, go and do likewise. Even at that point, the lawyer had an opportunity to say to Jesus, I can't do it, I haven't done it. And it would have been an opportunity for Jesus 
to tell him what the gospel of Jesus Christ was at that point. Now, he doesn't go into that or develop that, but it would have been there. So he turned the problem around, and he, he did not answer the lawyer's question specifically at that point. He was making the, 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 the lawyer was making the Samaritan here at this point a, an object, and Jesus made the Samaritan the specific subject. He answered, who is my neighbor? Uh, but he said, who is the one who acts neighborly? And we don't always do that. You act as a neighbor to the person who needs your help. We certainly should at this point. Well, why didn't that priest and that Levite do what they should do? Well, probably they were hindered by a legalistic application of the law. When that original question was asked by the lawyer, he could have understood that uh, Jesus would tell him specifically and, and Jesus was the great teacher, but he wasn't doing that. He was there to test Christ. And what hindered them at this point was they, they, they were trying to live to the letter of the law. And so they acted in a legalistic way. They prided themselves, these two, by keeping the law exactly. They were fanatics about it. They really were. They were also mean-minded legalists who used their approach to scripture to limit it and thus escape the law's true scope and meaning. If the law had said when uh, they had been reading it and understood it, help the poor man who was lying beside the road, half dead, they would have done it probably, probably grudgingly, but they would have done it because it was in the law. But that was not written specifically in the law at this point because it only said love your neighbor as yourself, they could debate who, who in, at this point, who is the neighbor. And that's what uh, they were trying to do, that, that the lawyer was trying to do. Well, then <clears throat> some of us who, you know, might pride ourselves to be good Bible teachers and scholars, we're called to do that. We use our expertise sometimes to get us off the hook. Never should we do that. We exegete the meaning, but exercise the obligation. That should not hold us back, my friends. Instead of waiting for any minute definition in the letter like that, which the lawyer expected when he said, who is my neighbor? Let us show that taught by the Holy Spirit of Almighty God in his word, the scriptures, stimulated by the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
we have learned to see that every sufferer whom we can assist has a claim on us as our neighbor. And if we don't, we are dishonoring the victim and God. The second thing, as we look at this, what hindered those two uh, passing by and possibly even the lawyer himself was the nationality or the religion that was involved in this parable. I'm sure that Christ had that in mind when he uh, was talking to this lawyer and responding to the questions he had because, again, the Samaritan was a half-breed. The man in the ditch was a Jew. As we mentioned before, they had intermarried, and as a result, the Jews hated the Samaritans. Besides this, they both had their same religion, or different religions, rather, their own religion. When the Jews of the south returned from Jerusalem, from that Babylonian act, uh, captivity, those Jews and Samaritans wanted to help rebuild the temple. They would have no, nothing to do with that. So what did they do? They built their own. The Jews hated the Samaritans for that. They were, they were, they were, they were really angry at the Samaritans. One didn't have anything to do with them. Uh, in fact, that when Jesus asked the lawyer which man acted as a neighbor, the man had fallen into the hands of the thieves, that lawyer answered in a way that he didn't even want to acknowledge that this man who helped and showed mercy was a Samaritan, whom he hated. He didn't like him. The outcast, in his mind, who acted as a neighbor, though he had ample cause... This, this Samaritan had ample cause to even pass by like the Levite and the priest because it was a Jew. And he was hated by that man in that sense. But in Christ's point of view, and here it is, that love transcends nationality, race, and religion. Jesus at that point, was pointing this out. You know, uh, as we read scripture, we have an obligation even to our own family. For as Paul writes in that first letter to Timothy in chapter 5, verse 8, he says this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Pretty strong word at that point. And an additional special obligation is rec recorded by Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. When I asked the question and stated that we're all sinners here today, we have an obligation to each other as members of the family of God. All of us gathered here have that obligation, specifically stated in scripture. But that doesn't 
excuse us for being concerned about the needy anywhere. As what Jesus is saying at this point, because everyone is made in the image of God and therefore they need our help. Now the last reason that the Samaritan was not deterred from his work by what must have been great personal inconvenience. Remember, he went and he bound up the wounds, he treated them with oil and wine, and he didn't stop there. He took the man to an inn, clothed him and fed him, said to the innkeeper, when I come back, and paid for that, when I come back through, if there's any more need of money, I will give you more. He had already given him two denarii to take care of him while he was gone. Now, that was very inconvenient, inconvenient for this Samaritan passing by. Why? It took time. It took money. And it took a concern in his heart and in his mind. So he was showing neighborly love thoroughly to a man who was in deep and dire need. We are not true followers of Christ until we are ready to give whatever is needed at a personal cost, possibly to us. You know, sometimes we're willing to give time so that we don't have to give our money. And sometimes we're willing to give our money when we we don't want to give our time. We're all guilty of that. If we own up to it, it's true. But this brings us back to that original question, which the lawyer asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so it brings us to the very gospel of Jesus Christ. And the irrevocable word of God still remains valid. That he who observes the law perfectly will live. He who always loves God and his fellow man will inherit eternal life. Can't do it, folks. We have not done it. We will not do it always. So therefore, the law is not going to save us because we are not obeying it. We cannot do it. And because no imperfect observance of the law, however excellent it may be, as you strive to abide by the Ten Commandments, which we must, we don't always do it. And one violation minor as it may be, condemns us to hell unless the grace of God enters into our hearts. And you know it well. You know the latter in a sense. We must, we must be born again. That's the first step. And that birth which is happening in every one of our lives and must happen then leads to faith. First born again, then leads to faith. 
faith in Jesus Christ who lived the law exactly and perfectly. And then that faith leads to justification, that we are justified now before Almighty God, before his throne of justice. Undeserved, (laughs) but we have an advocate in Jesus Christ who now stands in our stead. And from that justification comes sanctification. We now continue to live and to grow more and more in a way of becoming more like Christ. And as that sanctification continues to develop in our lives, it leads to glorification, which is the promise of eternal life in heaven. And there you have the steps set before us so specifically that we cannot deny it. So Jesus said to the lawyer, do this and you shall live, and the lawyer couldn't do it. You know, it's interesting. We're gathered here to worship Almighty God on this Lord's Day, and we should be here. That's one of the requirements of being a follower of Christ and at being redeemed into eternal life. And... (laughs) fellowship and worship, which we are enjoying today in this church, in this place, help us in our spiritual growth. For as Paul writes in Hebrews, we are to exhort one another to love and to good works. All aspects of group worship should build us up, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Lord's Supper and and, and admitting to each other and loving each other. You know, it's interesting. As you study theology and as you understand uh, the, the discussions that you learn as you study theology, and one of the great theologians of the, of the uh, Reformed Church and of the Great Awakening in America was Jonathan Edwards. And you know, he, one of his uh, favorite quotes was the fact that you contribute nothing to salvation, only your sin. We contribute nothing to salvation, only our sin. Because it's that which our Lord changes in our hearts and in our mind. Actually, Every circumstance of life can be reacted to so as to further or hinder the process of sanctification in our lives. God can make all things work together for good to those who love him. Romans 8.28 And in everything we should what? Give thanks. Knowing that this is God's will for us, writes to the Thessalonian church in the fifth chapter. You know, we could very well pray, and we should in our lives every day, that our reactions to the events of that day, or this day even that we're living in now, will be such as to draw us closer to the Lord and never away from him. No matter what they are, good or bad, God's grand plan, and he had one, and he has it, and it's operating started with the provision of a Savior 
Jesus Christ. It involved choosing a people, the Jewish people. It gave us the Savior as a point in time and in history. Jesus Christ really lived on this earth. He was both man and God. It led us to receive the gift of eternal life at some point in the history of our lives because when Christ comes into your heart and in your mind, it is a specific time. You might not really know it specifically, but it happens. That's regeneration. And regeneration must happen in every life, yours and mine. Or we are not saved and have eternal life. It sanctifies us. That great plan of God sanctifies us forever. Sanctification means that we are in God's care. It disciplines us and leads us to paths of righteousness during our lives on this earth and makes us eventually in the image of Christ. This, my friends, is what you and I are destined for. We go into all the great doctors of the church, predestination, election, and being chosen by God. That's what happened. And the exact same group who was so destined will be brought to glory as we read in that great, wonderful letter of Paul to the Church of Rome in chapter 8, verses 29 through 30, and in Hebrews 2.10. To be perfectly and fully conformed to the image of Christ will someday, my friends, be the joy of your life. And in the meantime, it is our job to be so. That is, even though never perfectly and fully free, yes, cheap, never, it's grace, my friends, all the way. But the God of all grace, who has called you and me to his eternal glory in Christ, after that, you and I suffer for, suffer for a little while, will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you, and therefore to him be the glory and the power forever and ever, 1 Peter 5. And I close with a poem of William R. Newell. O oh, the love that drew salvation's plan, O oh, the grace that brought it down to man, O oh, the mighty gulf that God did span, at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to you and to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. We were all sinners, but I changed that that we're redeemed sinners in Jesus Christ by grace alone. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we don't deserve your mercy, but in your great love, you have poured that mercy out on us, and by your grace, so lovingly given, achieve for us 
what we cannot do for ourselves. In your Son, our Savior, who was both man and God and is still the one who lives forever and makes intercession for us at the very throne of God each day of our lives and will ultimately <clears throat> ultimately answer the question for us before the throne of God that that lawyer asks what must we do to inherit eternal life and that my friends is that we must receive him through faith whereby we are justified. For we ask it in the wondrous name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of lords and King of kings. Amen. <clears throat>